coveting. Most of us would say, we don't have a clue what coveting means. I know one thing. All I wish is that I had a better mic system here, and I wish there was like a pad underneath this piece of car I mean, this carpet underneath here, so that my feet wouldn't get so uncomfortable and achy when I'm up here. And I sure wish the temperature was right in this room. And if this pulpit could only be the right height for me to be able to preach, that would be awesome. And I wish the guy would have asked me when he built the thing, where in the world do you actually stand? Coveting. Wonder what that means. You get the picture, don't you? How about this? I wish I had a 5C iPhone. I wish I had the greatest cell phone that was out there. You know, I'm back up for renewal so that I can have the nicer phone. Isn't that amazing? For the longest time, how many of you still have your flip phones? Go ahead, admit it. Don't you just love your flip phone? I loved my flip phone. It took me a long time to get rid of my flip phone because I loved that flip phone. But now I love iPhones, and I know that uh, Brandon says he got a new one, and I'm glad that we can now, like, knuckle-touch and emojis and all that kind of stuff. You come up to the, to the big boys arena here. And uh, <laughs> so it's always something. How about this? I just wish I had a car with air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, so, so many of us would say on a day like today when it is so humid out, we can say that we wish we had. How about this? Always looking at something else and saying, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had finances like them. I mean, it must be nice just to buy whatever you want. It must be nice just to write out a check for that brand new Cadillac Seville. <laughs> we got to be careful. So as I say all that, I enjoy comics and I enjoy cartoons. One of the things when I used to get the paper, uh, the Wretched Courier, uh, out there in Portage County, one of the things I loved about that paper is that even as a boy, I would always read the comic strips. And, uh, you know, as an adult, I see what's going on in the news, around the news, on the Internet. Sometimes it's just even discouraged to read, isn't it? And um, so I, I say all that to say, for me, I think it was more entertaining for me just to open up and read comic strips. Dennis the Menace has been a favorite for a long, a long time. Most of you know who he is, right? One comic strip has a picture of Dennis looking at a catalog and saying, this catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. The Wizard of It has a comic strip where one monk is putting up a sign on the bulletin board in front of his church while a visiting monk watches. The sign read, Thou shalt not covet. The visiting monk said, Boy, I wish we had a signboard like that at our church. We've been studying on Wednesdays with the youth the Ten Commandments. And I hope that it has been interesting and yet informative for each one of the youth as well as the adults. I know it has been for me just to kind of go down through and see it. Uh, the last of the ten would seem to be the least threatening. So as we open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, we'll notice that it says in there, simply stated, you shall not covet. Many of you may think, that one doesn't bother me. Or even if I covet, what's the big deal? Who's hurt by it? 
Well, the Bible clearly states it is wrong to covet. One good definition that I heard of coveting is the uncontrollable desire to acquire. The uncontrollable desire to acquire. We're not talking about an ordinary desire to have things. Material possessions by themselves are neutral. But the bigger issue today is how we can be content without desiring things uncontrollably. Let's read the verse. It says here, as we go down through, and I want to just bring your attention to it, it says that we should not covet. Now I'm going to go down through here and read uh, Exodus chapter 20. And God spake all of these words and saying, verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities or the sins of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, not, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant. How many of you have manservants, maidservants? Okay, a bunch of us, yeah. And uh, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And then we bring attention to our verse this morning, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. God gives us three categories here. It is wrong to desire, one, your neighbor's property or their house. Ahab took Nahab's vineyard. Number two, your neighbor's people, wife, male, or female servant. King David had a problem with that. He went after Bathsheba. He coveted and went after that. Number three, your neighbor's possession, ox, donkey, or anything else. How many of you have ox or donkey next door? Okay, let's put it up like this. Don't covet their Harley. Don't covet their car. Don't covet their lawnmower. And uh, so there. Somebody desired our, lo- our electronics here at New Hope. So they broke in the church and took it from us. Was it a neighbor? You know, that was a, a thought that I had. Was it a neighbor that actually came and took what was not theirs in December? What a sad, sad thing to think of we look at two types of hearts today the coveting heart and the 
discontented heart. And as we move forward in the message this morning, I want you to do a little bit of self-examination. Ask yourself, are you coveting? Or are you content with what God has done in your life? And if you are content, then may you expound on the goodness of God and take on some of those attributes and principles and points that we'll share with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for this house. Lord, we thank you more than anything for this community of believers. We thank you that these individuals make up the body of Christ, make up the church. So, Father, if it was not in this building or in a gym or wherever it is, Father, we're still the church. And so, Father, we thank you that we've come together, Lord, to understand your word and then to apply these great principles to our life. Father, hide me behind the cross. Lord, speak through me this morning. Lord, may your power come down. May your authority reign in and through your word. In your name we pray. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One, the coveting heart is not innocent. In God's eyes, it is corrupt and it is corrosive. It disregards the laws of God. The coveting heart is corrupt and it disregards the laws of God. What are the laws? I just read them to you. Listen closely. That is corrupt is obvious because God would not have included it in the list of the ten, ten big commandments. Just because it is last does not mean that coveting is least. I think it has an effect on all the other ten. For instance, when we look in verse 3, I won't go back through, but it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How many of you have put money and possessions ahead of God? Verses 4 through 6, How many have bowed down at the altars of materialism and greed while refusing to bow at the altar of the Lord? We look in verse 7, Many have blasphemed the name of the Lord in efforts to acquire things, disregarding God's word to attain what you want in life is blaspheming. Listen, I don't even like to see on Facebook, oh my gee. We need to be careful how we reference the name of God. When you say the name of God, let's say it in adoration and humility and honor and love instead of in a curse word. I won't hang there, but we'll continue to keep going. Verses 9 through 11. Have you ever desecrated the Lord's day to make money? Have you said, well, I have to work. I need to do this. I need to do that. Let me tell you something. I remember being a, a, a young lad and uh, back when I was 15, 16 years old and decided I wanted to work. I made a, a commitment. Father, let nothing distract me from worshiping on Sundays. And it's amazing. I don't care if I have to go to work and work Saturday night into Sunday morning. I remember when I was a night auditor for Super 8 Motel, and uh, I'd go in 11 to 7 o'clock, go home, sleep for two hours, get up and go to church. I think sometimes we have to be very careful what we make our focus and what we're coveting and what we're uh, focusing on. Verse 12, many parents are treated poorly and cast aside by children too busy making money to be bothered by them. Verse 13, it says there, thou shalt not kill. 
Many people are dead today because somebody wanted something that belonged to them. And then lots of marriages are torn apart because of, as one preacher said, and I loved this quote, he was so caught up in earning his salt, he neglected his sugar. A coveting heart is behind adultery. Coveting and lust are first cousins. In verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then we finish up with verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And it says often people will lie about another person, gossip about them because they are envious and covetous of that person's life. Sad, isn't it? Do you think we could make it through a day without saying, I wish I had what they had? Or I wish my marriage was like their marriage. I wish my baby boy or baby girl was as honorable and admirable as their little baby boy or baby girl. As I stood at that church last week, I miss New Hope. When our evangelist was here back in the fall, he made a comment to me that bothered me, and I shared it with the church back in the fall. He said, Preacher, why aren't you pastoring a church of 1,500? Well, first of all, I'd be intimidated with 1,500. I'll tell you that right now. But God didn't call me to pastor a church of 1,500. Are you kidding me? Don't allow Satan to put thoughts in your minds. God called me to North Hill, Ohio. And I'm blessed to be the pastor of New Hope. But I could could have sat on that for a long time and started coveting what other pastors have. Do you know I round the corner here? I am blessed what God has done at New Hope Christian Fellowship. I really am. Are you blessed? I even thought last night when that rain was coming down, I just said, Lord, thank you for those awnings because if it rains in the morning, they're going to get out of their cars and they're going to be dry. Men, sorry, you're going to be wet because you have to park the car. But those are the little things that we need to do. We need to praise God instead of covet and think this is what we should have. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. He says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. And on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Then in verse 8 of Romans, it says, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So it disregards the law of God. God wants you to live a holy life. And it takes a lot of work to live a holy life. None of us are exempt of that. But God wants to meet your needs right where you're at. Second, it denies the lordship of Christ. Are you cold in here? Are you comfortable? You can go ahead. Whoever the usher is today, you can... Brother Bob, could you shut that off, please? I love what it says. Verse or Point two, it denies the lordship of Christ. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. By who? By Christ Jesus. Yesterday, I'm at Macca. 
And a man walks up to me. You know, isn't it amazing how even in, in, in the life of a pastor, you're always pastoring. You're always discipling. And I love it. That's what I love about being called of God. So a man walks up to me and he says, I got a question for you. And I said, well, what is that question? And he said, you know, and he goes into this, you know, where's it at in the Bible where Jesus went into the wilderness? So I explained to him where Jesus fasted. He had to get away. And a lot of times when Jesus had to get away to pray, he went into the Mount of Olives. And he got away from his disciples. He got away from the multitudes. And he said, I just need some time alone. So he proceeded to tell me, all right, here's, here's my dilemma. I left my job today and I told him, I'm done. I've resigned. Today was my last day. So I looked at him and I said, well, you know, what are you going to do from here? He goes, it's kind of weird. I'm going to be taking on a position installing carpet. I was selling the carpet. Now I'm going to be installing it. I looked at him. I said, is that a wise decision? I don't know. I said, why don't you know? Isn't God the one who's in control of your employment? He looked at me and said, I don't know. That's why I came over here to talk to you about something. So he walked his wife over and he said, you know, listen to what Pastor Todd had to say. So I started sharing with him about putting out a fleece, about praying and saying, you know what, God, if this is your will. Now, let me back up just a little bit. Here's the neat part of the story. He said, never in the history of my life, I'm 41 years old, has my employment, my boss, my supervisor ever said to me, we want you to stay here. Can we counter off? What, what is it that you need? He looked at me. He goes, I don't know what I need. I said, he goes, so what do I do? I said, I don't know what you need. And so we're going, now we're fast forwarding ahead and his wife's standing there. And so I looked at him. I said, let me ask you, are you looking for some wants or are you looking for some needs? Because the Bible says that our God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Why did you just quit your job? And so he proceeded to tell me, well, because I think I can make more money over here. I said, stop. Do you need more money? Now, you're looking at a pastor who's been bivocational for a lot of years. Yes, would it be nice to be uh, in, uh, independently wealthy individual? I don't know. I've never been there yet, so I can't tell you what it would be like. But do you know every time in the janitorial custodial commercial industry, God has taken away something and he's given me something else? Because he knows my needs, not my wants. He knows exactly what my family needs. So I looked at him. I said, have you prayed? She looked at me, she said, and they're Christian folks. I mean, they go to church, they're active in their church. And he, she said, no. I said, well, why haven't you prayed? She said, I don't know how to pray. I want things now. I looked at her, I said, so you're coveting? Well, kind of, I am. Now, isn't this funny? This was just yesterday at Macca. And I said, can I, I tell you both to really come together as husband and wife? And pray about it. Because I really do believe that he didn't want to leave his job. When you're 41 years of age and you go around and start kicking carpet around on your knees, I don't know. I, ooh, I'm, I looked at him. I said, I'm 44 years old. That is difficult. And so God wants to have lordship over your decisions. God wants you to come to him. Are you? Have you said, I desire the bigger, the better, the best? And in America today, prosperity gospel is running rampant through America. And we're not content with what we have. 
God entrusted us to this building. God entrusts you to your home, to the vehicles you have. And he says, if you're faithful little, I'll be faithful to bless you with much. We have a responsibility. But God still wants to have full authority of your life. And so I looked at this couple and I said, pray about it. So I got back to my seat and I texted him. I found him because he gave me his phone number about three years ago because I prayed about him for something in regard to their life. And I met them out there at the pool. And uh, so I texted him, I am praying for you. And when you get an answer, because he's going to reveal himself to you very, very soon. Todd. So finished it because I didn't know if he had it. So I put my name in there. So I'm waiting back to hear what God's going to do. I know that God will take care of them as long as they seek his face and not his hands. When we seek his hands, we're always saying, Lord, I need this from you. I have to have this from you. God wants you to fully rely on him. We have difficulties with that. Here's what we realize. The coveting heart, it becomes excessive and destructive. In Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read it to you, verses 15 through 21. You're more than welcome to turn there, but I'll read it as well. In verse 15 it says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Isn't that simple? What a great truth. Verse 16, Then he spoke a parable of them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The rich man in Jesus' story died before he could begin to use what was stored in the big barns. Planning for retirement, preparing for life before death is wise. But... Neglecting life after death is disastrous. If you accumulate wealth only to enrich yourself with no concern for helping others, you will enter eternity empty-handed. But pastor, I can't give. You want a buck from me in the offering plate? This is the last buck I have. I'm not asking for it. God is. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when you do things for others. Not only in the church, but other people. The Bible says that your reward is laid up in heaven. I love the story of Achan. Turn back, if you would, please, to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. This is the sin of Achan. Achan was told, when Joshua goes in and takes over the land, do not 
take anything for yourself. And Achan said, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I'm going to. Because he was coveting. He had his own agenda. Get all I can, can all I get, and sit on the can. That's what he was thinking. So all of a sudden, the Lord God comes to Joshua because Joshua, they went in, he lost the battle as he went into A, which was a Canaanite city of Palestine, and he couldn't figure out why they lost the battle. They lost the battle because one of his soldiers became selfish. And he decided to hoard some things that he shouldn't have. And so God said, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to remove my favor. I'm going to remove my blessing. I'm going to remove it all from you. Now, you won't be the strongest army. You will now be the weakest. They will come in with their few men versus your big army. And we will overcome and you will suffer. Well, Joshua says, oh, God, help me. What has happened? I want you to show me. Is there sin in the camp? Does that happen in churches today? I had the great opportunity to uh, drive down to South Carolina, the great opportunity. It's like a ten and a half drive. Really, it's miserable. But down winding roads, up down roads, all the way around. I mean, I'm not so concerned about myself. I'm concerned about that semi that's on this side, that semi, and we're all going down the same road, 100 miles an hour. Not really, but it sure feels like it. It's uncomfortable. But as I was driving down, I, I committed to listening to messages all the way down, preaching, and messages all the way back, which took my ten and a half hour trip to a very enjoyable time between me and God. And through that, it was that God started to reveal to me about coveting. Todd, are you content? Are you really content with what you have? How about this? I love when people come to New Hope and they have a scorecard. And, and for some of you, you might be here now. Yes, you are looking for a church. Are we going to have a great discipleship program? Do you feel the power and the spirit of Almighty God? Is the Bible actually opened up in the church service? So many churches today don't even use the Bible. You know, we have the PowerPoint and, you know, all the wonderful thoughts and points are given up on the PowerPoint for everybody to see. And nobody owns a Bible. I'll never forget when we started the ministry, so many people said to me, Pastor, I don't even own a Bible. So we, had, we used to have stacks of them in the back for people to have. Because we've gotten away from the Word of God. And so within the church, I started feeling like, wait a minute. I think that's how some people are in the church. We go and we're always saying, we want and we have to have, and I'm looking for this program and that program. What happened to just serving? What happened to just being a part of the local body of Christ and just serving? Can I hear amen? Instead, people go because they say, what's in it for me, not what's, what I can do for Christ. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So we notice here that even in the midst of all this, Joshua was really falling. I mean, he stripped himself, ripped his clothes, put ashes on, got on his face before God and said, God, reveal to me what's going on. I have had, in the nine years of being the founding pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship, I have seen some ups and downs. And I knew, I knew there was sin. Pastor, here he goes, he's going to identify sin. Yes, I did. I handled it biblically because we can't have the power of God and the authority of God in a church 
If we've got sin going on all the time, God wants you to be holy for He said He is holy. So we've got to be very careful. So we go back to the story. So then Joshua says, we look in verse 19, he approaches Achan. Watch what he says to him. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. And I love, and I highlighted it in my Bible, hide it not from me. He said, hide it not from me. And in verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus I have done. What did he say he did? Go ahead, tell me. He sinned against the Lord God. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver was under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. They went and got all the stuff and said, this is, what he, this is why we lost the battle. Because he wasn't living his life right. Do you know in Old Testament times, if the man of the home was doing right, the family prospered. If the man of the home was doing wrong, the family suffered. How sad. Now watch. 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent and behold it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel. Sorry about that. And laid them out before the Lord. Verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said... Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. There was a memorial as a reminder. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of of Acor, which is actually interpreted the valley of trouble unto this day. All because he made the wrong decisions. Men, it's time to stand up for your family. It's time to become courageous men of God. It's time to apply biblical principles to your life and live out your Christian life. But preacher, do you understand how hard that is? I understand how hard it is. But guess what? God wants to bless you abundantly. He wanted to bless Israel, but they became selfish. No, they didn't. He did. And so they suffered because of it. God wants to bless this community of believers. 
God wants to bless your relationship. God wants to bless your family. But you have to live right. Just because you say you're a Christian, are you? Christian means Christ-likeness. The Bible says you shall know them by the fruits they bear. I've gone by some trees and I haven't seen a leaf on it. But it's always interesting to me that everybody wants to tell me how mature and how wise they are in the Lord. My question is this. When was the last time that you mentored or led somebody to Christ or live a separated life for Jesus Christ? We all need to be separated. I love this story because it it brought to mind something for me. God wants to bless all of us. And when we take matters in our own hands, what happens? We lose. God wants to bless His children. How many of you with a raised hand, if you have children, say, I want my kids to live a great life? We would all agree to that, right? And we've even stood in the way of God's will for them too. We've got to be careful not to do that. Be careful what coveting does. Listen to this illustration. Howard Hughes, he was a billionaire. He wanted more so he went to Hollywood because he wanted more and became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasure, so he paid large sums of indulge of money for every sensual urge that he had. He wanted more thrills. So he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favor so skillfully that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. Yet this man ended his life as a pitiful sight. He lived in darkness, his arms covered with needle marks from drug addiction, His fingers, nails were inches long and curled up in a grotesque way. His teeth were black and rotten. His hair to his waist, long beard. He lived like a hermit. He wore rubber gloves all the time and wouldn't leave his apartment. And listen to this. The man died weighing 95 pounds as a billionaire junkie. Here's what happens, and these are the side effects of a coveting heart. Fatigue, debt, worry, conflict, and dissatisfaction. No wonder families are being destroyed today. Because this is how we're living our life. The coveting heart is what? It is corrosive and it can become exploitive. Micah 2.2 says, The covet fields and take them by violence. Also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. There was Ahab and Naboth in 1 Kings 21. Ahab and Naboth. Ahab wanted what Naboth had. He wanted the rights to this property. And I won't, we, won't, we don't have to turn there. But he had a, a wonderful wife, such a godly individual. Her name was Jezebel. And so she says, look it up and, uh, in the Bible. So she says, I've got a way to get the property since he won't give it to us. Let's write, you know, the committee and we'll let them know, putting in terms that we understand, we'll let the city officials know that he is a liar. 
they'll take his life. So in 1 Kings chapter 21, Jezebel, because she looked at him and says, Listen, honey, you have nothing to worry about. Mama's got it all under control. And so she writes that letter and she just goes ahead and sends it off. What just happened? Hmm. Isn't it funny how we take things out of God's hands? And we grab a hold of them and put them in ours? So all of a sudden, they get word of it. And it says in 1 Kings that he was killed. He was stoned. He died because of a lie. Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how our tongue, because we covet, affects family members, relationships, churches, employment, because we start interfering. Hello, we are not here. What is that? The Lord is speaking to us right now. Are we there? Okay. I thought I heard the same thing, and I saw some of your faces looking like this. It's still doing it? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to do it because it is on the podcast. So I will continue. And, uh, and Satan, you won't win the battle. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command that to go away. So as we continue to move on, We realize that in Ahab and Jezebel's life, they took Naboth's vineyard. All because Jezebel lied and had him killed. Understand, church, you do reap what you sow. When you covet, you will pay dearly. God knows all and he sees all. Isn't that amazing? Do you think you're hiding from God? You're not. God knows everything you're going through. Because you're his child. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. And we'll move on. David and Bathsheba. David said, oh, look at that fine looking woman. I have to have her. And David was a man after God's own heart. God loves you. You're a woman or a man after God's own heart. And you keep interfering with his will for your life. And what ends up happening? David goes after Bathsheba and takes One of his soldiers, wives. God forbid we do that because we covet something we don't have to have. Be content. Number two, the contented heart now. This is the opposite of the coveting heart. Paul learned contentment. Now listen to this. In Philippians 4, chapter 11 through 13, it says this. Not that I speak in regard to need, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he said, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And then he quoted this. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Contentment is learned. And here's some help in learning contentment. We'll do this quickly. Resist comparing yourselves to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter, 12, verse, chapter 10 verse 12 says this. 
For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Here's the thing. Don't compare your house with somebody else, your job, your car, your looks, your clothes, their body, your body. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to admire without having to acquire. The only thing that I think I brought back with me from Charleston is the ocean, because that's what it sounds like. And uh, as it's coming through here. And uh, is it getting worse? Tracy, can I have your mic? There we go. Is it gone? Okay. It is gone. You can turn down the monitors if you would, please. Thank you. The Bible says resist comparing yourselves with others. As I've been growing up, and I'm at the ripe young age of 44 years old, I've always reminded myself to never compare. And when we started the ministry, it's easy to say, you know, it would be great to have that kind of facility. It would be great to have that kind of building. It would be great to have this. It would be great to have that. Listen, it's not wise to compare. It's not wise to look at other people and to think that, Our lives have to be like their lives. We need to be very careful. And even Paul was speaking there. Be careful. Don't compare. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Why do we compare anyway? Because that's the way society keeps score. By what? By possessions. But your possessions have nothing to do with your significance or your importance. You can be a millionaire and be a jerk. Or you can be poor and be wonderful. You have a choice. So what is it you want to be? So you have to examine your heart, examine your life to rejoice in what you do have. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this, If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It is a gift from God. There's a trap of the when and then thinking. We've all done this. Listen closely. When I get married, I'll be happy. When I get divorced then I'll be happy. When we have kids, then we'll be happy. When I get another job, then I'll really be happy. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. Let me repeat that for you. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. Second Timothy says that God has richly given us everything for our enjoyment. When was the last time you said, I just thank God for my job, for my life, for my wife, for my husband, for my children, for the good health that we have? When was the last time that you actually said, thank you, God? Instead of saying, but you know, they do this over here and I need that and we're coveting. Be content. God wants you happy. How many of you want to be happy? All of us would say yes. We want the joy of the Lord because that is our strength. So we continue to move on. A rich man finds a man lazily sitting by his boat. Why aren't you fishing, asks the rich man. Because I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them, came back the fisherman. You could sell them for money. You could buy a better boat. Go into deeper water, catch even more fish, and make lots of money. Soon, you could have a fleet of fishing boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? 
You could sit down and enjoy life. He looked at him and says, well, what do you think I'm doing now? Isn't perception everything? So many think that, you know what, it's always greener on the other side. The contented heart. Now, release what you have to help others. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, says this. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly in all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay a hold on eternal life. Who's the rich here? And all Americans, no matter what you make, you are in the top 2% of the income of the entire world. I want to just give this to you before we close. Four precautions for us in these verses. What we need to be careful is don't become proud of your wealth. Don't think that you are better than anybody else. Don't put your trust in money. Security is not in your bank account. Use your money to do good. Don't waste it and don't blow it. Give cheerfully. Giving is a cure for material, materialism. The opposite of getting is giving. The benefit is that you are storing up treasures in heaven. I'm guilty. I'm just going to tell you. I want it. I need it now. Have you ever been to a dealership? You walk in the dealership. You know what they say? Don't let those people out walking. If they have to crawl, you grab them by their heels, drag them back in the door. They will buy a car today. They will do whatever they can to give you 50% interest on your rate. Make your payment $962 a month. And you'll walk out paying even more because by the very end, they've got you hook, line, and sinker. You need this warranty. And you need gap insurance. Isn't it amazing? Because that's the way our society is today. We have to have. Be very careful. Not to be impulsive. This reminds me of a story I heard about a guy who died and went to heaven. When he got there, he saw a friend there driving a Mercedes. He said, what's that? Peter said, the transportation you are given in heaven is based on how much you've given. Sent on ahead. The guy was very generous. The guy asked, well, what about me? Well, Peter said, you weren't so generous, so you get a moped. He was pretty sad until he saw his former pastor come by on roller skates. <laughs> Rut row. See, I did that just for me. Are we giving? Are we content with how we're giving? Is it always that we're looking for somebody else saying, I have to have what they have? The contented heart and the last point. Refocus on what's going to last. 2 Corinthians 14. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Aren't you thankful that God's taken care of you? Aren't you blessed? Our ultimate hope when we are experiencing terrible illness, persecution, or pain is that the realization that this life is not all there is. There's life after death. Knowing that we will live forever with God in a place without sin and suffering can help us live above the pain that we face in this life. In closing, I say this. If we do these four things, we'll be okay. One, resist comparing yourself to others. Two, rejoice in what you do have. Three, 
Release what you have to help others. And for refocus on what's going to last. I said it earlier and I say it again. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. As God spoke to me, and I spent some quality time in His Word out on the ocean, just sitting, thinking, fishing, I will say this to all. And here was His illustration. Todd, it's not about the church growing because that makes it fat. It's about going deeper. And that's maturity in Christ. It's very difficult when you are a pastor who starts a ministry. Because I always want to be assertive, aggressive, evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. And, and Brother Todd did a great job last week on evangelism. But we all sh- should realize and embrace the Great Commission to evangelize. But you know what God wants? He wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants to know your heart. He wants you to say, Father God, thank you. I'm content. This is where I'm at. This is where you've put me. I'm blessed today. I'm content with what I have. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Some of you suffer emotionally, physically, financially. But maybe it's in those times and I'm going to be preaching. You're not going to want to miss those these series that God really spoke to me about, about reconciliation. People that have suffered wrong, and it sounds kind of bizarre, but when you hear some of the stories that I'll share from God's Word, you'll see where God blessed them, even though they were dealing with some adversity in their life. But here's the thing. Some people just aren't content. We're always coveting what their neighbor has, what somebody else has. I'm very thankful, and I stand up here today to say thank you, God, for a beautiful church, for a church that started nine years ago on a deck, that God's provided a building. He's provided air conditioning for us. He's, he's provided some comforts that some churches don't even have. And I want to say publicly, I'm thankful to God, for He is in control. If we're going to be in, allow Him to be in control corporately, are you allowing Him to be in control individually? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you realize He is has all supreme authority and power over your life? If you don't know that, and if you have not surrendered to Him, can you do that today? Can you say, God, here I am. Man, above all, just take me, use me, mold me, make me. Help me to be content. I have coveted. I have sinned before you. I have lost out on your blessings. But today, Father, I come before you to say, you brought it up in the Word. I'm going to be content. There was a funeral in Beverly Hills, California. A wealthy widow who was worth millions died. People gathered around the grave, and then someone said, you know, it's a shame she had so much to live for. Someone next to her said, No, she had so much to live on. She had nothing to live for. How about you? What do you live for? 
So we finish with Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Let us stand as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that whatever state we're in, Father God, to be content. Father, I pray for Luke right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll bless this young man with the words that he needs to speak to that church. Father, thank you for Luke's faithfulness. Thank you that even sometimes through the frustration of the sound system, Lord, we need to be content. And Lord, I know that even this morning, Lord, I'm content that we can shut off one mic and pick up another. Lord, I'm content, Lord, because you're in control. You're in full control. So, Lord, today, there are many that are here with some hurts, with some habits and hang-ups. Lord, they're struggling. And, Lord, sometimes it's difficult in their, in their physical state, Lord, to be able to make it from day to day. But, Lord, in their spiritual state, may they realize that you have supremacy over them. So, Father, today we pray that you will help them, deliver them, give them strength. Let them know that they can do all things through you that gives them the strength. Father, help us. Lord, and I mean that. Lord, even in my life, help me not to covet, but, Lord, to be content with all the things that you've provided for us. Lord, thank you for being in full control. And so, Lord, I surrender my position as pastor. I surrender my position as a husband, as a father, as an individual to you, Lord. Take full control of my life. Lord, may you be honored and glorified. And above all, may you be praised. In your name we pray. Amen.